Well, today we're going to start a study of the Lord's Prayer. And I love the pathway that these scriptures carry us along. And I love the guidance that God has given to us in our preaching and in our teaching of these words that follow along verse by verse, never leaving out any part of them. Because every part of them is important. Now here today, we arrive at one of the most important and most quoted portions of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. And because these words are so very important, I hope to spend several weeks examining each of the precious instructions that are contained within these prayers. And I want to begin by confessing to you that I really wish that I could be a better prayer. I wish I could be a better prayer. And why do I say that? It's not because I don't pray. I do. I have a set time every day when I pray. And in my prayers, I acknowledge God and I acknowledge His position of great honor and power. And I ask the Holy Spirit to reveal my sins to me. And I repent of those sins. And I even often will ask the Holy Spirit to pray my prayer for me. And then I also pray all the right things for all the right people. I pray for you, each one of you, every day, sometimes more often than once. I pray for my family. I pray for my friends. Many of them are unsaved. I pray for several widows, and I pray for some widowers, several of them who are grieving even right now for the loss of loved ones. And I pray on and on for all these different people. And I pray those prayers every day. And then also all throughout my day, there are numerous times that I'll pray, asking the Lord for guidance in matters that are taking place. And I also thank Him often for all the many provisions that He gives to me and my family. He is so generous and He has showered such blessings upon me and my family. And I am also continually asking Him to help me with all the many things that I'm thinking, the things that I'm saying and I'm doing, especially those spontaneous moments when I need help with what I'm getting ready to say to someone. But with all that being as it is, I still seem to fall short of being what I believe to be a good prayer. And I really want to be a good prayer. I really do. Through all the many years of my being a Christian, I've been in the presence of some of the very best prayers I could ever imagine. For several years, I had a prayer partner, Dr. Paul Cully. I've mentioned him to you on other occasions. He would stop by my office every few days and pray with me. And I can recall some of the most beautiful prayers that I've ever heard. And the best part was, as he would begin to pray, it would seem that he was beginning in mid-sentence, perhaps that, as if he was already praying before he came to me. And perhaps he was never not praying. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That is a wonderful thought to me. I want to pray like that. I really want to pray like that. Well, with all that being said, we'll begin today to do the thing that God has laid out for us here, and that is to follow along with these next verses of our journey through this book of Luke and begin to study 
the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And may I say at the beginning that while many Bible scholars believe that this prayer here in Luke chapter 11 is the same occasion as the prayer that's mentioned also in Matthew chapter 6, for myself, I'm comfortable believing that Jesus might have given this prayer on more than one occasion, perhaps several occasions. And that's because Jesus had many more disciples than just the twelve. And he also may have even thought it necessary to repeat the prayer for anyone in the crowd who might not have heard it. Now, whichever that may be, let's begin by reading these words given here in Luke chapter 11. I would ask you to turn there. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we also forgive anyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then for clarity, let me also read the more familiar words of the Lord's Prayer that's given in Matthew chapter 6. It's the version that we say each Sunday at the beginning of the service. And I'll use the King James Version of the Bible for this reading. There in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, we read, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now I want to note... That last part of verse 13, it's a doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now that may have been added by the translators of Scripture. and may not have been in the original text. But because these words present no harm to the original text, most all Christian believers accept those words as being within God's will. And so we will do that also. And then I'd like us also to note that in the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave a preamble, a type of warning to us. He said there before the prayer, he said, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now the hypocrites would be Jewish and in particular Jewish leadership. When you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Folks, all of these scriptures that are contained within our Bible, 
they are wonderful and they are excellent in every way. But here, in what we have come to refer to as the Lord's Prayer, these are words that have value and importance and meaning beyond anything that we can imagine. And as we examine these words over the next few weeks, I'd like for us to ask God to reveal himself to us in each of these words. And let's begin by reminding ourselves about a special truth, a truth that superintends and defines all of these scriptures in all of the Bible. And that is that these words are not just a good guide for us to follow as we live out our daily lives here on this earth. They are that. They are a good guide, yes. But they are so much, much more. All of these scriptures, folks, are the very breath of God. And if we'll only allow the Holy Spirit to explain these words rightly to us, we'll be blessed beyond measure. God declared that to us in 2 Timothy 3. With these words, I've read them to you often. He tells us there in 2 Timothy 3, All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now I want to say this again, that these words in this Bible, they are the very breath of God, and I want you and me to believe that, because these scriptures just said that. These words in this Bible are the very breath of God. They're breathed out of his mouth into the minds and into the hands of these writers like Luke and Timothy and Matthew. And then coming on forward, piercing into our own heart and soul and giving us doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness, as he tells us here, so that those of us who have Christ as our Savior can be complete so that we can be thoroughly equipped to do the good work that he has for us. For that reason, as you and I read about these thoughts and behaviors of these men mentioned here in these scriptures, we need to understand that this is God's way of reaching on past them directly into our own soul, revealing to us that we too should be asking the same questions and wanting the same things that these men and these women did. That's especially so as we read here about a disciple that comes to Jesus desiring to know more about this mysterious matter of prayer. We can know that within these same words that God is truly speaking directly on into each of our souls, urging us to want to know more about these mysteries of prayer, to encourage us, to encourage me and you to wonder and to ask ourselves, should I be praying more? How much do you pray? Should you be praying more? Is prayer really important? Why is prayer important? Why does God want you and me to pray? And when we do, what does prayer accomplish? Thankfully, these scriptures don't just simply provoke questions like those. They also give us answers to our questions. And the first answer that God provides is the answer to why We should pray. And simply put, the answer is, God is worthy of our prayers. God is worthy of our prayers. Listen to those words given in Revelation chapter 4, where you picture these angels crying out in loud voices, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, 
who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. All throughout these scriptures, we're told and we are reminded over and over again that God is worthy of all the honor and praise and glory that we could ever hope to show towards him. Beyond all those other reasons for our prayer, beyond all the physical problems that we have, the emotional and the spiritual dilemmas that drive us to our knees in prayer, the first reason, the first reason for prayer is because God is worthy to receive the honor and the glory of our prayer. Now, I hope to spend more time on that first purpose for prayer later on, perhaps next week or so. But for now, may I just say, God is worthy of our prayers. Why is that so important? One of the reasons is that for many thousands of people this very morning, this day is just one of those days when they get to sleep in. God is not worthy of their attention, of them getting up and going to church and learning of Him. It's a sad kind of life where you completely ignore God. He's not worthy of your attention. He's not worthy of you simply rolling over in bed and saying something to Him. The multitudes out there today are in that condition. They don't even roll over and think about God. They just roll over and go back to sleep on Sunday morning. Folks, God truly is worthy of our prayers, of our worship, of our adoration. Now, perhaps the next best reason for prayer is that prayer enables us to personally and intimately relate to God. Why is that so important? It's important because for most Christians, now this would be Christians, people who truly are saved, but the Christian faith, their Christian faith, is still at that level of it being only a system of good ideas and good principles and beliefs to live by, and not much more. The Bible is simply a guidebook for them. And again, it is that, but that's not what God is asking of you and me. And that's what prayer will accomplish in us if we will surrender ourselves to it. Prayer brings our Christianity up to where it should be, to a one-on-one relationship with an actual person. And yes, an awesome and powerful and mysterious person, but still a person. And once our Christianity gets transformed out of that of being simply a system of good principles and ideas into a relationship with a person, then all manner and all manner of other miraculous changes can begin to take place within us. We then can begin to be drawn into an intimate union with the very person of God. A union in which we can begin to know Him and trust Him and reach out to Him for more and more. And as we begin to do that, then so much more begins to proceed out of that beginning relationship. We begin to have confessions and repentance and pleas and petitions and requests and so many, many more things as we pray. But unfortunately, these words that I've just said and this relationship that I just mentioned is very difficult for most people. Even those who consider themselves to be strong believers. Relationships mean that we need to let down our protective barriers that we need to 
allow someone else to share a part of our life. And as that takes place to deal with deep and difficult matters of the soul. And that's not easy. That's not an easy thing for a lot of people. We have these secret places within our own souls that we don't easily share with other people. Sometimes we don't even share them with ourselves. We just don't go there. And we also have some strong beliefs, strong behaviors that we like, and we don't want to give them up. And those are a hindrance to that intimate relationship with Christ. And because prayer can open up those doors that we are not always willing to open, we stay reluctant to pray. We avoid it. We instead busy ourselves with other acceptable substitutes for prayer. Substitutes like defaulting back to just allowing our Christianity to be a system of good ideas. And also leaning to our own understanding. That was a warning, folks, there in Proverbs 3. We're not to lean to our own understanding. We're to ask Him for His understanding. He really does want you and me. God really does want you and me to get quiet and get intimate with Him in prayer. He even tells us that sometimes we need to go into a closet, away from every form of distraction, hidden away there in that closet, then we can give ourselves over to a real and personal, intimate relationship with Him. And He promises that if we will allow Him to come in and to get intimate with us, then our lives will begin to change. Our lives will begin to change in ways that we'd never known before. He'll begin to personally direct our paths and our steps that we take each day. Those words again from Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Folks, God really does want you and me to move on into that next step of our faith in Him. And the way to begin that step is through prayer. Again, for some, perhaps most of us, this step is difficult. It means that we have to give up the control over ourselves that we've enjoyed all of our lives. We have to give up on that thing that God calls pride. Pride is such a devious enemy. It keeps us from simply sitting quietly before the Lord and asking Him to examine our heart. We love to keep control over ourselves and over everything that we do. We love this claim to my right to myself. Now, why must we relinquish that to God? We need to do that because that prideful spirit that stands as a barrier between us and God, it needs to be removed. With our prideful nature still in place, we keep Him from the fellowship that's a part of intimate prayer. Folks, it is only as we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord that He then is able to lift us up. Thankfully, thankfully He is truly our Father. And He knows our frame. And He knows that humility doesn't come easily to our prideful hearts. And so, very often, He then will use some of the daily stresses and the sufferings of daily life to bring us to a willingness to call out to Him in prayer. And yes, oftentimes... And listen carefully to this. Oftentimes, He will not only allow those stressful things to take place in our life, just as often, 
he will intentionally orchestrate those incidents. And while you're there saying, Lord, relieve me from this, he's saying back to you, no, I brought it to you so that you would deal with it. He is our Father, and He knows that we came into this life with this obstinate, self-reliant personality. A personality that seems to be fully convinced that we really don't need anyone else's help. A personality that wants desperately to do all the things of life by our own wits and our own power. We are fully convinced that we really don't need anyone else. We want to control these matters ourselves. We want them to turn out the way we want them to turn out. And we know that God may not have them turn out exactly that way. And we don't like that. So knowing these things, knowing us, God providentially He arranges these events of our life to bring us to a point of frustration. A point in which we have tried all that we know. Tried all the things that we can do. And now we know we need help from a power that's beyond ourselves. Thankfully, as believers, you and I know to whom we really do need to cry out to. And from whence our help will come. Unfortunately, though, unfortunately, that's not so with most of the other people of this earth. Even and especially for some of those that are closest to us in our lives. Some of our family members, perhaps. People all around us are confused and they're helpless to know to whom they need to cry out to. And unfortunately, unfortunately, most of the time they cry out to other people, to systems, to programs that cannot meet their needs. They cry out to doctors and to therapists and to medication and governmental programs and on and on. And none of them can help. But thankfully, folks, you and I, do know to whom we can cry out to for help. And it truly is God and God alone. These disciples of Jesus were asking him to teach them to pray. And no doubt they had already advanced on past those frustrating times of obstinate resistance. And they were now ready to enter into that special relationship that only prayer could bring. And while we really can't know their thoughts as they were asking this of the Lord Jesus, it seems that as they were observing Jesus, they were seeing something take place that had never been a part of their religion before. In Jesus, they were seeing and they were hearing a very very intimate moment take place, an intimate moment between a father and a son. The religious practices that they were accustomed to didn't have that intimate relationship within it. And yes, yes, God was the almighty creator and Uh, sustainer of all of life. But they had been taught that God was distant, that He was untouchable, that He was unknowable. But as they observed Jesus, and they observed this relationship that He had with God the Father, there was no distance. There was no separation. His conversation and His prayers spoke to God the Father as being a loving and kind person. They could know that Jesus was speaking to someone who was actually touchable, knowable, loving, and intimate. Someone that they, yes, had to fear, that they should fear. But also someone that they could actually get close enough to even embrace. And that was a very strange concept to them. And something within them, no doubt it was the Holy Spirit, urged them 
to want to have that same kind of intimacy. You can only imagine their thoughts as they would listen to Jesus pray. Time and time again, he would address God, this distant God, now as a loving father. They'd listen to him pray those prayers, saying, Father. And he would use very intimate words like Abba, which means Daddy. Folks, that was so strange and so much more personal and more intimate than anything that they had ever known before. And Jesus was inviting them. Listen, Jesus was inviting them to do the very same. To themselves, also call God Father. They had never been able to do that before. And they really wanted to do that. And so, we find them here asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. They wanted what He had. And folks, as people watch you pray, and they hear you pray, they might want to know and to have what you have. If they discern that you have this intimacy with God that they don't have, then they may want what you have. Isn't that exciting? That's an exciting witness. Now, one last thought before we close. This first matter here of the asking of Jesus to teach them how to pray, that's very significant. The simple truth is those disciples did not really know what they should think and say and do within their prayers. And they wanted to be careful to know what to ask for. And they did need to ask. And folks, so should you and I ask. If we'll take a careful look at most of the prayers that we pray, we very often probably don't pray them rightly. Now, yes, yes, most all prayers that come from a humble and contrite heart, they're probably acceptable to God. But listen, should we not want to pray as God really wants us to pray? Again, as we said a moment ago, every part of our relationship with God must begin with humility. And that's especially so when we're praying to Him. And we should be asking in humility, saying, I want to learn to pray in the way that you want me to pray. I want to learn to pray in the manner and in the way and with the heart that you want me to pray. And Father, since this is going to be a loving, long-term, intimate conversation, I want to know what to say, so teach me what to say. And listen, if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to humble our heart, to give up our claim to our right to ourself, then God will actually join Himself together with us and will fellowship with us in prayer. So then, beginning today, let you and me begin to say, as His disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Let's close in prayer. Oh, dear Father, we do ask you to do this. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We ask in Jesus' precious name.